Matthew in chapter number 2, we'd like to read responsibly this morning the first 12 verses of the chapter. Allow me to begin reading verse number 1, and I will read the succeeding odd numbered verses. Would you please read with me verse number 2, along with the succeeding even numbered verses through verse number 12. Once again, that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and reading responsibly. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, take this very familiar passage of Scripture to most Christians and speak to our hearts afresh and anew this morning. We'll thank you for it. Lord, we've come together to worship you this morning. May your worship be in spirit and in truth. May you be well pleased with our worship, we ask. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to that most famous passage of Scripture, or one of the most famous passages of Scripture. As far as the Christmas story is concerned, I'm referring, of course, to Matthew chapter 2. Admittedly, I have probably preached on this passage of Scripture in the last 30-plus years at least a dozen times, maybe 15 times. I haven't taken time to check out and see how many times I've really preached on it. Every preacher knows about a program. It's called Lagos. Every pastor knows that, and uh, I have it on my computer. And I now can hit a button, and, of course, I can find every word that's in the Bible, uh, any word I want to see, how many times it's in the Bible, where, where it's in the Bible. And I can hit another button and I can get messages, literally messages, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of messages, I'm sure, on Matthew chapter 2. I looked at a few of them just for fun in regards to uh, a different slant on this famous story that we've known so much, so much about. I will admit, and I don't want to say this is original with me, but our thought is, our, te- our text is, uh, always, so I like to preach on one verse, and one phrase in one verse, and in this case one word, and I couldn't find a message in regards to all the messages that probably hundreds that have been preached on from Matthew chapter 2, just zeroing in on this one thought. 
Now, I draw your attention to our text verse. There's actually three of them. It's verses number 2, verse 8, and verse 11. Notice it with me again, the story of the wise men. And I'm taking liberties here. We're understanding that most of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. The Bible says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to, what's the next word? Help me out. Worship him. Skip down to verse number eight. Herod, the wicked Edomian, the wicked king, had all the babies killed later on in the chapter. You know the story in Judea. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared, verse number 7, verse number 8. And he, went and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and, what's the next word, help me out? Worship him uh, also. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. Verse number 11. And when they were come, that's the wise men, into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, the mother, his mother, and fell down and, what's the next word, help me out, worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. When you study, when you go to seminary or you go to Bible college, they teach you what's called the laws of hermeneutics. There's a law, it's called the law of first mention. I've used it many times. The law first mentioned basically says this. Anytime you find in the Bible, the first time you find this particular word or a particular thought or concept or phrase, that you can go back all the way through the Bible. You can go back to that first time you find it, and it always all ties in. I want you to know this is the very first time in the New Testament, 57 more times that we find this word worship. It's found 60 times in the New Testament. The very first time, of course, is Matthew chapter 2. Verse number two, and I want you to notice what it says one more time. It says, For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship who? Him. To worship Him. We've come this morning, brethren, we have met to worship. We've come to worship Him. The one that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that went to the tree, went to the cross of Calvary rose again the third day. That's who we came to worship this morning. These wise men, they came to worship him. I have just two questions this morning. No bulletin. I want to make it, or rather, no fill in the blanks for you. I think we might have it on the screen, though. I guess we'll find out here in a few seconds here. And, uh, but I have two questions for you. Question number one, and uh, see, if, see if these guys got it right here. I'm sure they did. But question number one, why did they come? Why did the wise men come? Look at that. It's on the screen. Thank you, guys. In order to answer that question, I have three sub-questions in regards to these wise men that we've heard so much about. We just sang about them in a song form. But uh, question number one, sub-question number one, who were they? Well, the Bible says, verse number one, that they, 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 they were wise men. They were magi, to use the, the word that's used in the Greek language. We, some have thought magi to be magicians, but not so much magi magicians, but they had powers. They, maybe they were seers, as in prophets. Maybe, we know this, they were seekers of wisdom. We find it in their name. Maybe they were kings. 
We don't know exactly where they were from either, either, but we know that they were, maybe we deduce that they were from Persia, and the Persians had a priestly caste. If we were going back to Daniel and read Daniel chapter, uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, we'd find that 500 years before, almost 600 years before, that the Chaldeans had a priestly caste as well as sage of of uh, prophets, and of course Daniel would be one of them. He would become the president, as many of you know, the book of Daniel. So these wise men, we don't know much about them other than they said, the Bible says they were wise. They were seekers of wisdom. They were maybe kings. They were seers. They were prophets. They were, they were astronomers for sure. They were learned in the sciences, and they were skilled in, in, in higher learning. But one thing we know of them for sure, that they were seekers of wisdom, the Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse number 3, in him, that's Jesus Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Back in our old church, we used to have an auditorium that was the size of our foyer. And we used to have, it was 19 feet wide, our, our, our foyer is about 19 feet wide. And uh, going back in the day, going back 30 plus years ago, we used to hand paint our, bull, our banners. We used to have a banner that ran for the whole month of December, went across the whole front of the auditorium, 19 foot across, about five foot high banner, and it said, wise men still seek him. I'm here to tell you this morning here that wise men still seek him, that he's, uh, he's uh, wise men still journey from afar to, 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 to seek and to worship him. So we asked the question, who were they? Well, we just, the Bible just calls them wise men. But then I ask you the question, where did they come from? All that we know from the text is that they came from the east. Now, the east has a long expanse from Jerusalem. If you, got, uh, if you, you get a map in your, your mind's eye, or if you want to turn around and look at the, from Jerusalem, all, from Israel, of course, all the way across, several thousand miles all the way across from uh, Persia, or Iran, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, Mongolia, maybe. China, India, they came from a long ways. They came from the east, several thousand miles. We don't know how many there were. The song says, we three kings. The Catholic tradition holds that there were three kings, and they, we talk about the, 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 the kings of, uh, uh, I can't think of the name of town, Cologne it is. Yeah, they got a memorial and a statue to the three kings of Cologne, the three kings of Supposedly the three kings say they do, 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 do set from the three gifts that were given. But the Syrian church, they believe, believe that the number was 12. Other histories and traditions believe it was 14. But here's the real truth about it. Is we don't know how many there really were. There could have been upwards to 100. It was such a caravan and such an entourage of wise men that came that all of Herod and Jerusalem, they knew they were coming to town. And they were all troubled at their presence. And so we don't know where they came from. Uh, the Bible says that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, I'm glad that our, I thank God for America, and I thank God for uh, the English language, and I thank God for the tradition that we have, but I want you to know in heaven that the Bible says in Revelation 5, 9, that they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to, be, to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood from every kindred, Every tongue or every language and people and nation. When we get to heaven, there's going to be people from all over the world that are in heaven that, are, that were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that were saved 
whether they were Chinese or whether they're South American or Iranian or uh, Russian or European or wherever we go around the world, African, you name the, name the place, there's going to be people from every tongue and language and kindred in heaven because they were, they, they were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we ask the question in addressing why did they come? Why did these wise men come? Well, who were they, first of all? Where did they come from? But thirdly, when did they come? What do we know from their text? Well, we know that they were wise men. We know they came from the east. We also know from the text that they saw the star in the east. And so they, well, they came when they saw the star. Astronomers tell us that there was a supernova, a star that was seen that appeared around 4 B.C. Christ, of course, came, as we know, around, around what we know of, of course, the, the intermediate or between A.D. and B.C., Young people, by the way, now they call it the common era. When I was a boy, we used to know it as A.D., that's Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. B.C., before Christ, of course. We were trying to change our history. But uh, a star appeared in the east. In this star, they were guided by the star that was prophesied. And by these, uh, in the scriptures, in Numbers, it was prophesied this star would come. But the Bible says these Gentiles, we know that they were Gentiles, these wise men. Isaiah 60 and verse 3 says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings, of the, kings to the brightness of, his, of thy rising. They saw his star, and they followed his star. A star shall rise out of, out of uh, Judah, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, the Bible says. And they, they saw that. And I ask you the question this morning, I said in the calling post, you people that get the calling post message, you heard a message that said, uh, why are you going to make the journey to church this Sunday? To hear Marty shot? I hope not. <laughs> You're sorely disappointed if that's what you came for. Did you came to Harvest Baptist Church? Is that what you came for? No, hopefully you came because you wanted to worship him that sits on the throne. Hopefully you understand why you came. But some, some have chosen not to come. And not just our church, but thousands of churches across America. And they made a conscious choice, a choice not to come and worship. How many wise men or magi or soothsayers or, or prophets were there of these lands that, that did not come? These ones, they came, they're, they're called wise men. And so I ask you a question, why did they come? But then secondly, why did they give? Back to our text, verse number 11, of course, says that they gave gifts. There's a reason why some people give gifts at this time of year, because they, they pattern it after this, this story here. Some of you say, I don't believe in giving gifts. That's okay. That's fine. These, these men, they wanted to give gifts. They gave it to the king, of course. But why did they give? Well, in answer to that question, let me give you three subpoints. What did they give, first of all? Well, the Bible says they gave their gold. They gave, their, they gave their, their, their best. They gave their money. Gold is reminiscent or is in honor of a king. Gold always signifies the ruling monarch. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16, the world has a lot of kings, a lot of potentates. But the Bible says, when, which in his times he shall show who is blessed and only potentate, the all-powerful one, the king of kings and lord of lords who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. 
which no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be glory and to him be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now the Bible says that no man can see. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ, he's not only the, but he's, he's the God-man. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It tells us that in Revelation 19, verse number 6. Revelation 17, verse number 14, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. I asked you the question. They, they asked, what, what did they give? They gave them their gold, first of all. Let me just give you a sidebar here. We took an offering here. You know, some people get offended by that. Not you, but we've had people that get offended in churches that take offerings. They say, all they want is my money. They gave of the best monetary means that they had that they could give to. They gave their gold. They gave the finest of all metals. Gold signifies honor. Speaks of uh, majesty. We sing the song, Majesty, Worship is Majesty. The song says, give of your best to the master. Who's on the throne of your life this morning? Who's your king of your life? Not a king, but the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. So they gave, first of all, of their gold, speaking of their honor. But then they gave of their frankincense. We don't know what that is, most of us Westerners, as we're known as. But they gave of their prayers. The frankincense was a resin or a sap that was obtained from a certain tree in the balsam family. And when it dried, it would form tears like an apple seed. And it was used in perfume. It was used in the sacrifices, if we were to take the time to go back and study frankincense from the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, we would find out it was used in the offerings, but it was never used in the sin offering. It was used in, in, used in prayers. It was it spoke of intercession. And we are, as saints of God, we, have, we can come boldly to the throne of, his throne of grace in our time of need. We have the ability to go and speak as a son of God, join heirs with Jesus Christ at his very throne. They came and they offered gold, picturing honor. They came and they offered frankincense, picturing their prayers and their intercession. But then they offered a third thing, they offered a third gift that's listed, and that is myrrh. Myrrh, again, was a substance used in embalming, a dead person, of course. It speaks of sacrifice. It was a medicine used, or it was a spice or medicine. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, in verse number 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Christians were to give our body as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12, to the Lord. We're, we're, Paul said, I die daily. We're crucified with Christ. We, we died. It's no, no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. They gave of their myrrh. They gave of this sacrifice. Uh, we are to give our lives as a sacrifice, living sacrifice to the Lord, holy, acceptable, which is our reasonable service. And so in repetition and re, re, reminding or summary of these gifts that they gave, they gave of gold, picturesque of gold, picturesque of worthy of a king. They gave gold at his birth. They gave frankincense, picturing the, uh, the prayer life and intercession that he's God. He's God that answers prayer. And then they gave her their myrrh, and picturing, of course, his sacrifice on the, the cross of Calvary. And so in these three gifts, we have the person of Christ in his birth, in his life, his intercession, in his resurrection, of course, and he's 
king, God, and priest, prophet, priest, and king. And they understood these things. They were wise men after all. But now we get to what I call the balance of the message, I guess, and the, the, the heartbeat of the message as we dissect the passage. Question number one, why did the wise men come? Question number two, what did they give? Well, first of all, how did they worship? I ask you the question, how did they worship? Let's go to our text now. Verse number one, let's dissect nine, nine ways that they worship, nine truths of worship. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. I want you to notice that they, these wise men came. They came in person. They came personally. They didn't send a surrogate. They were probably rich men. They had men's nobility, men in the means. They could have sent somebody to go for them. You know how many families there are across America? It used to be this way that grandma was the matriarch of the family. Maybe mama was. Sometimes the father is. But many, many families, many homes, they don't go to church. They haven't gone to church. And, of course, we're living in an anti-church society now today, today more than when I grew up as a boy. But one matriarch, or it could be a patriarch, but one part of the family went to church and covered the bases for everybody else. These wise men, they said, this is a dangerous journey. We're going to send somebody else to go for us in our stead, in our place. Hey, the only person that can come and worship the Lord today for you in your life is you, in person, in personally. The Bible says, some people give the argument, by the way, that Christianity is a personal relationship. It is a personal relationship with Christ. But worship is, can be personal as well. You can worship God in the woods. Yes, you can. I mentioned about the deer I saw last week in the, from the pulpit. We had four deer out here in the field. And I was, I was thinking of the goodness of God and looking at those beautiful creations of his. Some of you, uh, Janet's not here this morning. I just noticed Janet's not here. But uh, uh, George, uh, George uh, dresses, if you don't know what that is in this context, ask somebody after the service. But he dresses about 130 deer a year. And, uh, and he takes care of them. He loves deer. And of course, but I looked at deer and... Uh, and I, I said, wow, the beauty, majesty of God, of course. And I, I, I could worship in my car on a snowy day. You can worship on the boat. Yes, you can. You can worship in the forest. You can. You can worship in your bedroom all by yourself. But this worship, I want you to know, was, was public. And I want you to know that it was carried out in public. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God, and your, God, God the Father uh, when they see your good works. You need to show to glow. I uh, give it an illustration, and of course there's only about four or five of you that will appreciate this, you college football fans, but I really like college football. and I've said that several times this fall. I don't care for NFL, but I like college football. Now let me let you know a little secret. There's several venues across America Last week, they played last week, and they didn't play yesterday. But there are several venues of college stadiums that hold over 100,000 people. You know how many people are in the stadium? 104,000. More people than there are seats in the stadium. And there are several venues that like that. And uh, you see, whether it be uh, Ohio State, the Horseshoe, or, the, or Michigan, or Alabama, or the Crimson Tide, or uh, the, the Clemson Tigers, or what have you, you see their stadiums and they're, pardon the slang, they're rocking. 
and every seat is full, and everybody, uh, they're, they're, they're not missing. I, I have on my bucket list, probably never happened, but I'd like to go before I die. I don't know if it'll ever happen, probably won't. I'd like to go to Ohio during the week of uh, one of the big games, and I'd like to watch, be there on a Saturday to, to watch an Ohio State Buckeye game. So I got online a couple months ago, and I, I ticked into, uh, t- t- tapped into Ticketmaster or one of those places, and I wanted to find out what a ticket would cost to get into a Rutgers football game with Ohio State. The cheapest price was $75. I checked for, for the Michigan State game, or Michigan game. The cheapest price for 100,000 seats was $300. And, and I thought, boy, that'd be nice. Those people, they, they, they're called fans. They're called fanatics. And they're packed out the house of God. Or they've pack, packed out their stadiums like crazy. Would to God that churches across America would be packed out. I, I think at one time we had a one of our larger services we had, we counted the cars. We had 241 cars in our parking lot. It was a big venue, to say the least. And more people we've ever had here in the history of our church. We had cars parking. Unfortunately, we didn't have snow, and there was cars parking uh, out in the grass and all around the horseshoe or around the pavilion and so forth. We just had cars everywhere, of course. and had, There was standing room only, of course. And you can be guaranteed that on that day that everybody that passed Harvest Baptist Church said, something big is happening. Why? Because they came publicly to the house of God. They came publicly, personally, to, to let the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Show the glow. And then I want you to notice, not only did they come in person, and all of Jerusalem knew that they came, but the second way that we worship is we worship with effort, with, even with danger. They came and they were putting their life on the line. They came to Herod, a wicked king, he's going to have all the babies slain two years old and younger. He's, this guy's a power man. They, he could have had them killed. They were out of their territory. But they came and they, they, they came with danger uh, over the mountains and through the dale. No, just kidding. But, uh, and they went through the deserts. If you study history, 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great, he conquered the world. He went and took his troops, Macedonian troops, all the way to India, through Mongolia. He, he went to, he conquered Egypt. He conquered, of course, the Persians and had the great battles against Darius and all and on the 10 years of the great conquering conquest of the 30-year-old general named Alexander. The most men that he lost, he lost the most men when he climbed over the Alps, on the, I mean, the Himalayas, rather, on the way to India. And then he says, I'll never go on that route again. So he went to the southern route. He went through the desert. He lost more men through the desert than he lost through the mountains. Nature took. I say, why, why do you bring that up, preacher? These men, they came from the east. They, they, they evidently had to go over the mountains or through the desert at great personal risk. And so they came from a, uh, with effort. They came. It, it, it takes work to. Now, it didn't take you a lot of work, but it took you some work to get to church this morning. And all God's people said, yeah, it did. That was a weak amen, but you, you had to get dressed. You had to take a shower, hopefully. <laughs> you came to the house of God, and it took some effort. The older you get, the more effort it takes, right? You folks that are as old as I am and older. And they, 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 they with great personal risk and personal danger to themselves. They came in person. But then thirdly, we know this, that they came from a, they, they made a long journey. A long journey. Worship requires a long journey, if you will. First of all, it's a far journey. It's several thousand miles. This takes sacrifice and effort to, 
to, to uh, worship the Lord. We're in vacation season, of course. It seems like it's vacation season almost all year round, but now we're in Christmas break season, and folks are vacationing here and there and other places. If you go on vacation, that's fine. Go on vacation, that's a good thing, but don't vacate from God. Get in the house of God somewhere. Let me try that again. Don't vacate from God, and all God's people said, amen. amen. <laughs> get to church if you're going to go visit another state or another venue. Make sure you get into church. They, came, they went on a long journey, but they, kept, they, they came to worship. They went on a long journey. They went on a, 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 not only a far journey distance-wise, but a long journey time-wise. Maybe some scholars believe that they took upwards to two years out of their life. They left their home. They left uh, everything behind. They took this one-way or this one-way trip. They didn't know if they'd get back, of course. And we're taking a one-way trip. I want you to know everyone here. One way. We're not getting out of this world alive. Unless it's by rapture, unless by the coming of the Christ in the, the clouds. But we're, 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 we have but one life to live with three score and ten. It's a long journey. The psalmist said this way, Psalm 104, verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. I don't know about you, but I want to be found faithful in my Worship to the Lord in my old age as well as my middle age and as well as my young age. It's a long journey that we're on. Worship requires a lifetime of service. Then number four, you see, why did they come? Or how did they worship, rather? They worshiped in person. They worshiped with effort, even with danger. They worshiped by a long journey. Fourthly, they worshiped by devotion or by reading. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. They, they, they read. They knew to come to worship the Lord because they saw the star, first of all. In Numbers chapter 24, 1,500 years earlier. Numbers 24, verse 17. And I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, or a king shall rise out of Israel. That was written 1,500 years before Christ came. Job said, I shall see him. I know my Redeemer liveth. I've never seen, and you've never seen with your eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know one day, if you're a child of God, you're going to see him with your eyes. You're going to, he's actually going to, you're going to be in front of him. And you're going to see the scepter. You're going to see his high lifted up and sitting on the throne. It's going to happen for the child of God. Look forward to that day. They were guided by the stars. They were guided by the scripture. You see, here was Herod in Jerusalem. They were five miles from Bethlehem. I've been to both places, but Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It's closer than Torian is to Winstead. And here they were, Herod, all his life. They were right in that, that vicinity, right there in he had a palace in, in uh, Jerusalem. And here were these wise men that came several thousand miles away because they, they, they were devoted. They read the Bible. They read the Old Testament scriptures. And they believed the scriptures. And they said, well, where is he going to be born at? And they quoted Malachi, Ma, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these shall come forth unto me, him that is ruler in Israel, Whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Hey, Jesus just, here's a little sidebar, I just want you to know. Jesus just didn't come to be 2,019 years ago when he was born the baby in the manger. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been, always will be. He, we, we don't call it his birth. We call it his first advent, his first coming, his first appearance when he came to earth. And they, they, they recognized, they saw the star, and they said, they, they read the scriptures from 1,500 years earlier, and they said, that's the star. We're going to follow that star. The scepter shall rise out of Israel, and uh, a star shall rise out of uh, Israel, rather. Out of Judah, rather, and then a scepter or the king out of Israel. So they saw this, they were guided by the stars, they were guided by the scriptures, then they were guided by the Savior himself. The song said that we just sang, Guide us to thy perfect light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so, what is worship? Back to the word for just a moment, it's the word proscunio. In the Greek language, two Greek words, pros, we know that word, fall down. Cuneo is the word for dog. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, dog was an unclean animal. Jesus said to a Syrophoenician woman in Matthew chapter 15, when she came to worship him and begged for her daughter to be healed, she said, Jesus said, it's not profitable that I cast that the, 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 the master give uh, Bread to the dogs. Jesus called her a dog. He said, oh, that's mean, that's, that's, that's racist. That's, she was outside the fold of Israel. She said, yea, Lord, but even the dogs eat of the, the crumbs of the table. The Lord healed her, of course, and he, he accepted her worship. But that word, proscunio, put it together to fall down. And cuneo, dog, literally means this. Look it up in the Strong's Concordance, Young's Concordance. It means to lick or to lap like a dog. Now, some of you got some tough dogs. Anybody got a real tough dog? You got a, anybody got a, uh, a tough dog that can chew on somebody? Nobody wants to admit it. You got, you got one of those easy, nice little dogs, you know, little, uh, you know, poodles. So somebody got, oh, yeah, Marge, that's right. Marge and Ken, they have a, they have a dog. What kind of dog is that? What? Airedale. He's a big boy. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a big, big dog. But, he, and he, but here's the truth of the matter is, the dog is at the mercy of the master. And the only way that the dog can tell Ken and Marge, I love you, is when Ken and Marge give that portion of Alpo, that five pounds of Alpo they give to feed that dog. And he can come up and he sits down and he, with his big tongue, and I can see the dog now in my mind's eye, is a big dog. And Ken or Marge puts their hands down, he licks their hand. Or if Ken wants to, he can put his face down and that dog will lick his face. That's the only way that the dog has to, that unclean animal, has a way to say, I love you. That's the word that is used all 60 times in our New Testament for the word worship. To lick or to lap like a dog. You say, I don't like that. We get the privilege of going to the master. And we're alive, we're, 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 and, and, he, and he likes our worship, and, and he, he loves our worship, and he, 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 he enjoys it. So devotion by reading. Worship, by the way, involves trust. Trust in the Lord with all in heart and lean on to their own understanding. It involves praise. It involves thanksgiving. It involves joy. It involves confession of sins. It involves music, it involves songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So how did they worship? They worshiped in person. They worshiped with effort. 
They worshiped by a long journey. This world's not our home, we're just passing through. They worshiped by devotion, by reading. They read the stars, they read the scriptures, they read, the, they, they read about the Savior. They followed that perfect light. But then I want you to notice, fifthly, they, they made this journey because they, they believed. They believed when they got to Jerusalem that they were going to find the king. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Worship involves, or how do they worship? They worship by believing. If you really want to worship Jesus Christ, it begins by receiving him as your savior. The Bible says, John 20, verse 31, but these are written, what's written? The word of God. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. You see, these, these wise men, they came and they, they realized he was king of the Jews. And you want to know how I know they got received Christ as their savior? Because they bowed down and they worshiped him. They worshiped that babe. They know, knowing that he was more, the, more, more than just a babe in the manger. He's going to be the Christ of the cross. They believed. Worship includes believing and receiving. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You must, Jesus said you must be born again. You must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not just up here. Herod said, oh, oh the king's coming. He got so worried about it, he, he carried out some action. He said, well, I'll take care of him. He sent his murderers, his soldiers, to kill 36. His tradition tells us 36 babies were killed in Bethlehem of Ephrata, and the women cried, two years old and younger. He wanted to make sure that he exterminated the Christ child. It didn't work. But I want you to know that worship includes believing. Worship includes a sixth truth. It involves the sixth truth that we see in this passage of scripture from these wise men. It is with, with obedience. With obedience. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, uh, giving thanks to his name. Uh, we worship the Lord continually. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but did you ever have to, did you ever come to church when you didn't feel like coming to church? Okay, don't you raise your hand. I'm raising my hands. Many times. Let me ask you, did, have you ever read your Bible when you didn't feel like reading your Bible? Many times. You ever prayed when you didn't feel like praying? Yeah. You ever witness and try to do right and be a light when you didn't feel like being a light and doing right? Yeah. They, you think there were some bad days on this journey? You think there were some days of heat? Some days of sunstroke? Oh, that'd be kind of nice right now, wouldn't it? <laughs> you think there's some days of winter cold? You think there's some days of adversity? All of that no doubt happened. But they went in obedience. I delight to do thy will, O God. This revelation says that we, uh, uh, we should be obedient unto death and uh, uh, not be ashamed of living for Christ even when it's hard. Anybody can live for Christ when it's convenient. Anybody can worship when it's kosher to do so. But when it's hard to do it, these men worshiped and they were obedient. But then seventhly, verse number 11 alludes to it, and several of the passages actually allude to it later on in the chapter. But this 
Worship also included humility. And I would say a lot of it. These guys were power men again. These guys were somebody. They were, they were, they were evidently well-to-do men. They could have sent their surrogate, but they said, no, we got to go. And we may be kings, we may be wise men, we may be uh, our, the upper class of our science or our education or whatever what, what you have or our, our caste, but we got to come and we're going to fall down and worship the Lord. Then they, they, not only was there humility, but there was a bowing. Notice with me, please, is verse number 11. Notice every word of God is there for a purpose. And when they were come to the house, they saw the young child, maybe several months old at this time already, maybe a year or so old, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Notice the Bible says they fell down. They bowed. Many of you know the song, Bow the Knee. That was written by Ron Hamilton. I've met Ron Hamilton on at least two occasions. I saw him in Washington, D.C. a couple years back at the Capital Connection Conference. Ron Hamilton, for you that don't know, wears a, pat, wears a patch on his eye, on his left eye. I think Ron, he's older than me. I think he's pushing 70 years of age. Ron and Shelley Hamilton, they've had a hard life. They would never admit that. But Ron, when he was a 20-year-old, some 20-something-year-old man, he got cancer in his eye. And he ended up losing his eye, and they took his eyeball out, quite frankly. He could have put a, a glass eyeball in, but instead he wears this patch, and he's been known for the last 40-some years now as Patch the Pirate. Kids know he's on the radio all over the country now, all over the world for that matter. And they, back when they have tapes and CDs, now <clears throat> and the music that they write. You know, a lot of people don't realize that Ron and Shelley Hamilton have had a tough go in life and many setbacks. Uh, just a few years ago, a very sad, tragic event happened and a bridge in Greenville that I've walked across this bridge in Greenville, South Carolina. Their adult son, on Mother's Day, threw himself over the bridge committed suicide. The Hamiltons have had a number of setbacks in their life. But he wrote the songs, he wrote many of the best songs. When I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. Some of you know that song. But he wrote the song, Bow the Knee. Bow the Knee. Bow the Knee. He is king of all the ages. Bow the knee. God alone on his throne. See him high and lifted up and bow the knee. Kneel before him. All adore him. As you live to love him more, bow the knee. In his hands he holds the power of creation. With his voice he spoke and all things came to be. Yet he hears each simple prayer I bring before him. When I humbly seek his face and bow the knee. Verse 1 said, what a privilege it is to come into God's presence, just to linger with one who's the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee. I was reminded even just this morning during our auditorium Baba class time, uh, this is more than just, this stage is more, these are more than just five steps to the top of the stage, the platform, call it what you want. We call this an altar. Hey, let me, I've been doing this for a little while, 34 years being a pastor now. I'll let you in a little secret. I know I've been talking to a friendly crowd this morning, but not all Christians are happy with altar calls. Some say it's show. Some say it's Christianity is private. Why do you invite people to come forward at the end of an, have an invitation and a call to come forward? 
I want you to know that these men, they came and they fell down in front of everybody that was there and they bowed the knee. And there's a reason why we have an altar call. You see, you can worship the Lord privately, but you can also worship him publicly. You've got to show to grow or to glow, of course. We don't do it to be seen in men, but there's a reason why we come and we unashamedly bow the knee. One day, I look forward to that day, at that, that, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I ask the question, why did they worship? Well, they worshiped in person. They didn't send a surrogate. You had to come to worship the Lord. You couldn't send somebody to come for you, a family representative. You had to come yourself. They worshiped in person. They worshiped with effort, even with danger. There's some sacrifice involved in worshiping. We offer the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. They came, they, they, they took a long journey, two years there, maybe two years back, four years out of their life they took to worship the baby boy named Jesus. We're on a journey, and our three score and ten will be, it's but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. They worship by devotion, by reading the scriptures. Churches are getting away, I don't have time to, in review to go back, but churches are having less and less of the word of God preached, and more and more of uh, entertainment. Nothing wrong with music, that's part of worship. Nothing wrong with song, that's part of worship. And I'm all for a good song service and special music. I'm for all that and choirs and all the rest. But we come to hear the preaching of the word of God, how important that is. They heard the word of God and they they knew that the star was coming. They knew that the scriptures were true. They knew that the Savior was ordained to come and he's the light of the world. So they came with devotion. They came with a believing heart. Worship includes believing, includes obedience. Includes the humility, concludes the bowing. But lastly, and most nakedly open, is what they gave. I want you to notice their giving. It's verse number 11 again. And when they came, they fell down and presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The story of, I want you to know that they, they, they gave. Someone has rightly said, you can give without loving. Sometimes you just give to get somebody off your back or to ease your conscience. But you cannot, you cannot love without giving. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. gave his only begotten son. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. We give out of a heart of love. John Hopkins Jr., not the not the hospital, but uh, John Henry Hopkins Jr., the Vermont pastor and prolific poem writer and hymn writer, in 1862 penned the song that we just sang that is out of our hymn book. It's not in our hymn book. It's not in our old hymn book. I looked in the, our old hymn book. I got a copy 15 years ago when we had old hymn books. It's not in a lot of hymn books. In fact, in 19, 1862, the beginning of the Civil War, the first year in, this song was rejected. We, I'm talking about Rethry Kings of Orient R was rejected by a mass of Christianity. It was considered unscriptural because, first of all, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the three kings came. It doesn't say that they were given kings. It said they were magi. We only infer three because of the three gifts that were listed giving. And so because the song was unscriptural, many, songs, many churches don't sing it to this day. And that's all right. That's fair. It's uh, not defending the song, but I am defending the, 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 the truth of the song is they got it right. Deity old or, or gold de- represents a deity on high. Uh, 
We through King Savoy and our bearing gifts we traverse so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Frankincense to offer have I, incense stones to deity nigh. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God on high. Myrrh is fine, its bitter perfume, breathes a life of gathering gloom. You see, the gospel is not in just the life of Christ, it's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very important. Many people have no problem worshiping the baby in the manger, but we need to worship the Christ of the cross, worship the living Savior. Verse 5 says, Glorious, now behold him arise, King and God in sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, earth to heaven replies. O star of wonder, star of night, star of royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. You see, they gave, in their worship, it included giving. They gave of their best to the master. They gave of their, their first fruits. They gave of their finest. They gave of their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. How do we worship the Lord? The Bible says they came from the east to worship him, and they gave of their very best to the Lord. God calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Are you worshiping the Lord this morning in spirit and truth? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? In just a moment, we're going to sing... Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. For the record, and I close with this, you, there are many people that many times in the gospel invitation, we are accused of begging people to come to Christ. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no coercion in the gospel. But there is, I'm glad that one day somebody persuaded me to, to brought me to the light of Calvary and brought me to the light of the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I received him as my Lord and Savior. And I came just as I was without one plea. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We come by faith. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Holy Spirit of God, maybe there's someone here today, man or woman, boy or girl, needs to receive Jesus as their personal Savior, not just intellectually in their head, but, Lord, personally in their heart. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I pray, Lord, you might bless in our moments of invitation as we have an altar call. An opportunity for Christians to worship publicly, not just privately, but publicly at an altar and bow the knee and say, I love you, Lord Jesus. But Lord, maybe there's some that need to receive Christ as Savior today. Have your will and way in hearts and lives, we pray. And blessing these last moments of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we all stand together, 167, 167, just as I am without.